0: Hey, before we get started today, I just wanted to let everyone know about our big self-leadership accelerator. It's a big program that we're launching on October 4th. Signups are beginning today. It's finally happening. It's our 10-week program designed for proactive leaders who want time-tested strategies to accelerate their personal growth their team and their company it's in a group setting small groups we'll also go over the enneagram system and the seven traits of effective leadership to become the inspiring empowering and bold leader that your team needs you to be it's not a typical leadership development program Uh, it's going to be very exciting We would love to have you be a part of the small but growing community to see how you could be more effective as a leader at your organization. And to find out more details for this limited space, go to bigselfschool.com backslash B-S-L-A.
1: All right. Welcome, everyone. We are here with our Type 6 panel. Hello, hello. I'm so excited to be sharing this space with you all virtually um, as you let us know a little bit about what it's like being a Type 6. So we're going to jump right in and have you all introduce yourselves. Tell us who you are, um, a little bit about just like your work right now. And I'm always really curious about how you figured out your type. So tell us how you found out you were a type six, and really anybody can go first. So I'll just let you guys have at it. Vice
2: president of finance and operations for United Way of Greater Chattanooga, and I've been um, I've been there for about four years. And um, my work with United Way is what has allowed me to do work on um, on my enneagram and discovering that um, I am not the type eight that I had been typed as for years and years and had always been so confused and frustrated by because the behaviors, um, my behaviors look like an eight, but to, but um, the underlying, underlies the behaviors and what's behind the behaviors is not eight. And that was always frustrating for me and I couldn't figure out how to improve. And so um, doing this work um, with Shelly is how I figured out that I'm actually a six counter type. And has led
1: to, to some really wonderful um, growth. Yeah. So can, if I can say just a, a little bit about that. So yeah, Susie is a sexual six or a one-to-one six, um, which is often mistyped as an eight. So she's learning and sharing so beautifully, like those behaviors can look so much alike. But underneath that for a six is really about fear Um, And so we're going to get into that a little bit more. So Marta, how about you?
3: Yeah, so I'm Marta. I'm here in um, Kansas City, well, a suburb of Kansas City. I'm a pastor. I pastor along with two other guys. So we are a co-pastoring team. And um, so we started studying Enneagram, you know, I think it was probably 2008 or so. And it was. Actually, it was brought to my attention from a a group of pastors, and I just thought, yeah, this is just a bunch of bull. I don't even buy any of this. (laughs) And that little star, that doesn't look right. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And so (laughs) I took about three years just to kind of dabble into it and read about it. But I kind of put it aside, and then I'd go back. And then I took a test, and I tested as a two. And I was like, ain't no way I'm a two. There's no way I'm a two. But even others would, might every once in a while, say, well, you're a two. And I was like, I'm not a two, but okay. I like twos. They're nice, you know? And then um, I was in a staff meeting one time, and I was lit, angry, out of my mind, just about to go off on someone. And I thought, give me that book. I'm going to, I just went home. I'm going to go read that Enneagram book. I'm going to figure out what the heck the number is that guy is. And I'm just going (laughs) to tell him the what for, you know? And then of course I was just reading along, reading along. And I'm like, oh, it's not him. (laughs) It's me. I felt threatened and afraid of him. And then I was like, oh, and then I started reading more about the committees in the head. And the flow charts and feeling afraid. And I looked at my husband and I said, So, who are, who's on your committees in your head? He's like, What are you talking about? What's <laughs> your husband's type? He's a five. Okay. He's like, I don't have any committees. It's just me. <laughs> it's and just I'm me. <laughs> up, you know, and I, <laughs> I'm good, you know? And I'm like, Oh, I'm a six. Mm-hmm. So, I still waffle all my subtypes because I do have some to, you know, the, the subtypes look like different numbers and they're so different from each other. But depending on what situation I'm in, I tend to favor different numbers. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it took so long for me to settle.
0: But so it's been about a decade of knowing that you're a six.
3: I knew about 2010 or so. Yeah, I known yeah. I'm a six, but I still waffle on my subtypes. Sure. Which probably means I'm self-pres, but we'll see.
1: I don't know. I heard some sexual subtype in there too. Like going to, you know, come on, buddy. Got across the yeah, table.
3: Yeah, I, I do have, I have been told that at times and I can be intimidating. So
1: maybe you're balanced, Marta. Maybe you're a yeah, little bit of exactly. <laughs> Well, let's get to
4: that. Let's let Roger Okay, in Roger, here.
1: tell us about you.
4: Yeah, well, my name is Roger Coles. I'm a social media designer. I am the founder of My Social Designer, which is a company that creates social media templates for entrepreneurs. And for my my type discovery, probably 2 years ago I heard everybody talking about this Enneagram stuff. And all my friends were asking me what type I was and I didn't know. So I found, I just Googled like Enneagram quiz. Let's see what I can find. And so I found something, punching in a bunch of answers. And then it said that I was a type three. So I thought, okay, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that makes sense. Um, But there were a couple others that I also felt like, well, this, this could be me as well. The journey then took me onto Instagram all over the like, Meme pages, right? And you know, people have a lot of different thoughts on that. But ultimately, it was Shay Box who I think you recently had on the show. Mm-hmm. And she was on our
1: Type Four panel. I love her so much.
4: She's amazing, and uh, I met her through a mutual friend. We actually began working together, and I'm in a mastermind with her now. And she's incredible. And she said, "Hey, I'd love to do a typing session with you." So we did a typing session, and through it, I learned that I'm actually a type six and a lot of people are confused by that because when people see someone in a creative field or design or art, a lot of them immediately assume that they're a type four. And, but that's not the case for me. I'm, I'm a type six. And, um, and I used to hate that. I used to tell (laughs) Shay all the time. I hate being a type six. I wish I was a type seven because they have so much fun. Why can't I just? And age everyone it? wants to be the Everybody enthusiast be seven, when they see right? that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So that's been uh, that's been my typing journey thus far.
0: That yeah. is great. Well, it's great to to have you all here. Thank. This is going to be a great panel. I'm really excited to dig in.
1: I love that you all, each in kind of different ways, are talking about the deeper inner kind of motivation. That you you know you have to do a little bit of investigation to really figure out wh- what your type is. It's not just a behavioral kind of check the box. It's like why do I do that? That's really the key. So I'm glad y'all are highlighting that.
0: And tests with the Enneagram are are limited.
1: Yes, they are. So let's start talking about um, that your center of intelligence. So you all are in the head triad. So your center of intelligence is your mental processing. Um, You're really adept at analysis. Um, You kind of take in and give in information from the world through your thoughts. So how does this, I'm curious how this shows up for you all, um, Maybe in like good and bad ways, like what are some benefits of that? Like how do you experience that? And then where do you see yourself getting caught up a little bit in the, the mental work?
0: Cause I, and even before the answer, I want to add that. So sixes are right in the middle of the, the head uh, center of intelligence with, you know, surrounded by the five and the seven uh, as the wings on either side. So they're right in the middle of being the head types.
1: So Roger, do you want to take a stab at that first?
4: Yeah, I would say, you know, it has served me well in anticipating what is coming. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know, I can't speak for every type six, but being in the midst of a pandemic as a type six has been an interesting year for sure, because I'm already playing out so many different scenarios that now, this is one more that's like on a global scale. <laughs> yes. That's like life or death. So, um, you know, in t- anticipating what is coming, I won't talk to you about what is in my basement or in my pantry in regards to storing up for every possible worst case apocalyptic scenario. <laughs> um,
1: oh, now I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take us to that pantry.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, it, it has come out in leadership as well because I was a pastor for 15 years. And so some of that would be that if we were going to implement a change in systems or something, I would always think through what is the series of events that will happen based on us making this one decision? And sometimes that would drive people crazy because it may be that I'm playing out those worst case scenarios just as a way like this is something that we might want to think about because these could be some unexpected results of us making this one decision and changing how, how we're doing things. Um, and then I would say that it, has, it trips me up and that then I can begin to overthink and I will feel paralyzed to make any decision because of the fear of making the wrong decision. So I'm, I'm mm. thinking through so many outcomes and, and there's a story I can share a little bit later about what's happening right now. And, um, but overthinking and then becoming paralyzed, I would say that has been something that has definitely tripped me up. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting. The six is in the middle of that head type, you know, it's, um, there's an interesting relationship that sixes have with, thinking because of that place on the actual diagram we know that sixes can tend to overthink and so they become unproductive thinkers in some ways um, where they live in that head space which is so fantastic but then exactly what you're saying Roger the tendency to kind of spin around in the thinking
0: let's go in reverse order Marta how about you (laughs)
3: Yeah. I, um, I used to just think I was naturally curious, you know, like, um, I'm just curious about you and your life and I like to study and I'm going to figure out, you know, problem solving. I used to just, I remember being little and being bored and just, this is back in the day where we had landlines. I just would take apart the telephone and see what was in it. And then Then I wouldn't know how to put it back together. So (laughs) I just kind of leave things around just like it's what I was just curious how it worked, you know, and then people be like totally lit at me about where's the phone? (laughs) Like, Oh, yeah, I took it apart. So those those are the kind of mental gymnastics that I'm curious about. And I don't mind um, dismantling things in my head and seeing what's going to actually happen. If we were to dismantle a system at church or dismantle something in leadership, it's almost like a drive to figure out in my head what that would look like. But also, I like to reconstruct things as well. So I think we sixes get blamed a lot for being worst case scenario folks, but I I really do resonate more with being opposite case scenario or all case scenario I'm mm-hmm. really an all case scenario oh, okay. I, like about that. That. I like that when you
1: say what does that mean all case scenario
3: I just like like I have flow charts in my head and I have like okay. you know well if this happens then this will happen and like I've asked my kids do you have you know flow chart in your head And they're like what's a flow chart I'm like "Yeah, they don't do flow charts anymore <laughs> <laughs> but I just can see the scenarios of if this were to happen, then A or B, then you go down the chart. And so I like constructing those in my head, and then reconstructing them. And then actually kind of strategically saying, this is the best one, I think, but it really might not go that way. So let's, let's create several scenarios. And then collectively, I mean, decide what is the best for us or what we're willing to pick because every scenario has a certain you know cost to it. Mm-hmm. So the cost and the benefit. So I don't necessarily think of it in terms of negative or but I do know that other numbers will say it just slows us down. Why do we why are we let's just do it and try it out. I'm like, why well, I just would rather know what I'm paying <laughs> for this product. Before I do it now, if it costs a lot, that's cool. You know, it's going to cost us whether it's time, money or whatever. But in my opinion, nothing really great happens unless you pay. And I'm willing to pay the price Mm -hmm. of it. Whether it's willing to think through. Yeah.
2: Yeah
1: to do the mental work to really consider.
0: So you're like other numbers might think it's taking too much time, but (laughs) I don't think so.
1: (laughs) That's
3: right. Yeah. I learned uh, in leadership to say, I'm not trying to slow us down to, to start with things because I think that's the, the, you know, the bad rap that we get, we get Mm -hmm. pinned with this. Oh, here we go again. We have to answer a million questions and I, and I can tone it down. I don't have to do all of that either. But I do think that if I prep it, especially some of my more assertive numbers on the team um, and the more positive numbers to say, just just th- these, these are three things I just want you to think about, or just maybe two instead of maybe 20. And they'll actually, <laughs> if they see that I'm not trying to slow them down, but I'm actually trying to get to the end product that they're trying also to get to,
1: Yeah. then
3: we're on the same team. I love that. Susie,
1: how about you? How
0: do you you relate to um, these experiences? Being
1: a head type. Yeah,
2: definitely. Completely relate, right? Um, So I think that my brain is constantly going and always taking in all of the the facts, right? And the feelings to me are, I do have a side to me that, that is deep in feelings and very sensitive. But especially in a business way, um, just really looking and taking in facts and constantly assessing risk, um, which is a good thing to do in my position, but then it also ends up um, with me looking very contrarian, right? When there's something that really feels good to others and like, yes, we should do it, and it's because it's um, warm and fuzzy or it's sexy or whatever it is, and then I'm coming and then I'm showing up to. Uh, ruin the party with um, 12 different scenarios of how
1: it can all go wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. that's good. Thank you. So I, I, did you want to say something? No. Okay. I was. I want to present um, some definable characteristics. So these are the characteristics of a type six that we kind of, um, I don't know that they're stereotypical. I feel like they're kind of true to what sixes uh, report. So I'm just going to list them and I want to hear kind of how you're, how you experience them. So maybe pick one or two that really resonate with you. So number one is hypervigilant. So kind of that constant scanning you guys are talking about a little bit. A
0: couple we've already heard, uh, Mm -hmm. insatiable questioning and contrarian.
1: Yeah. I think we've already heard. Those are three. Um, Occupied with matters of trust and authority. Uh, experiences doubt and ambivalence. And then the last one was self fulfilling prophecy. And so, um, yeah, creating scenarios where what you most think or maybe fear actually happens. So talk a little bit about, you know, any of those that really stand out to you and how, um, how they look in your life.
0: Or if I can even like maybe narrow the question a tiny bit, like, so when you are, uh, the wheels are turning and you're all case considering uh, and, you know, others are kind of what, how do you make that? Do, do you have a, a system, an approach for how you just make the decision finally?
2: Maybe, maybe this thinking. is because I'm a counter type, but I think that um, I tend to be quick with decisions. I'm going to do the analysis and I'm going to very quickly make the decision because I'm super uncomfortable with the lack of decision. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, and I think that is true for the this the one to one subtype, um, okay. which is so oriented to mo- a little bit more risk taker. A little bit more activated. And so, energetically, kind of going out versus pulling back, like a self preservation type might, Uh, which is why it's the counter type. Because usually, you know, there's the fight and flight. And so, the sexual subtype of this of six is very much the fight. So, I'm going to go after fear to manage it so that it feels less scary. So, yeah, I think that's.
0: I'm curious if Marta and Roger have have similar approaches. Roger, you want to go?
4: Sure. Uh, I would say, you know, if something's presented to me that usually there's some kind of gut reaction to whatever that is. So, of course, I'm going to think it through. What happens for me sometimes is that I have that initial response of either I like it or I don't like it. And then Mm. I start to second guess that stuff. That's where I kind of start to get in my own head and I don't really trust my initial gut reaction. So what I've been working on is trying to remember, how did I first feel about this when I first heard this news or when this opportunity was first presented to me? What was my initial reaction? And is there a way that I could explore that a little bit more before third and fourth and fifth guessing that Mm. gut reaction?
3: (laughs) I think that's really good, Roger. I, I'm i glad you went before me because I think that I'm like, what? I, I don't see myself as a procrastinator or, or, you know, all these things. But then I'm like, maybe I'm the same subtype as the one-on-one. But then I think that's what I do. And then it's really important to remember that sexts sort of forget how they felt about things because they go into their heads immediately and start to mm-hmm. ruminate. So well does it whatever gut reaction I had at the beginning, I can make a thousand decisions during the week. I literally told my assistants this week, you guys have to on Thursday remind me what I said <laughs> because I need I know I made a decision out of my gut, but then by the time Sunday comes, I will have forgotten that. That's like I hired you to tell me that, guys. So don't be afraid to tell me that I once said this. And so I yeah. just, I think interesting. I can well, how like often walker.
0: does, does it prove out like the, the many different cases and then maybe some of those other uh, alternatives are the better ideas or it, d- does it kind of always circle back to maybe the very first
3: response? I don't remember. <laughs> okay. We're on to the next one. We're on to the next decision. Uh, that makes sense. That. Yeah.
1: It's That's the little, mental work. Mm -hmm. moving along yeah
3: or we regretted it and then Mm -hmm. we think we shouldn't have done that we shouldn't have done that we shouldn't have done that and then it turns out fine and the thing is is that fixes do don't like reward themselves if it turned out great and they Mm -hmm. were right because they've gone on to the next thing that thought i'm i've got to regret this now or i've got to (laughs) think about it and prevent it now instead of actually um reveling in the the fact that we will write about something. Mm-hmm.
4: So good. So true. My mastermind is on me for that all the time. Like I'm already moving on to the next thing and they're like, "Hold up, Roger, did you celebrate the fact that this last quarter that you met the goals that you had set at the beginning of the quarter?" I'm like, "Yeah, but I mean, I mean I almost did," are like, you know. Like
1: shaking your head. Like, <laughs> no. Go ahead, Roger.
4: I was gonna You're say, green. It, you know, sometimes I I hit them, but then I'll find a way to still kind of like downplay even the results that I that I did make and not really celebrate that fully.
1: So, what is that about? Is there like some like self protection in that, or is it um, is it the the f- still avoiding the fear of like I don't want to be duped. I don't want to like go with this and actually celebrate when in fact. Um, there's something at core there that makes me not believe this.
4: Yeah. For me, it's, yeah, it went well, but it could have gone better. If I now looking back, even though it went well, had I done this, this, and this, it would have been an even greater success. That's how I feel about it anyways. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. I was thinking for a minute, why do I do that? But yeah, I completely agree, Roger.
3: Yeah. I think also the, just Slightly different than the one which hears an inner critic. I don't hear a critic necessarily, um and the regret, and I don't hear like a four would say there was something missing. It's not quite like that. It is more like, I don't know if I can trust myself on this, and i I really can't trust all y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so can
1: we but, talk about that? Because I think marta, you're you're like hitting the nail on the head with what it is, um, with trust. So, and I mentioned this, uh, this kind of relationship between authority. So we know sixes all have this kind of, uh, complicated relationship with authority. So I'm really interested in kind of how it's showing up in trust, exactly what y'all are talking about, trust of self, trust of others, and how do you all navigate that?
2: Yeah, trust. That's a, a complicated hot button. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with what Marla was just saying, right? Of just being like, um, not trusting. I might not trust in myself. I definitely don't trust in others. Um, I worked um, out of school on the CPA and I worked as an auditor for 11 years. And people would always say, wow, your skepticism levels are so high. You're such a fantastic auditor. Just, well, I just naturally don't trust in you. <laughs> <laughs> Um yeah, just super skeptical of everyone and always looking for the room.
1: How have you figured out how to navigate that, Susie?
2: Ooh, working on it, actively working on it, like acknowledging it and then realizing that when most of the time if I have a strong emotion that comes up, um, there's fear behind it. Learning that, that there's fear behind it. And um, most of the time when I start unraveling, like where is this fear coming from? It's about, it's almost always linked to trust for me. It's something I don't trust what they're saying or doing or that they're gonna follow through or whatever it is. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
4: I don't feel like I have a general like mistrust of people, but usually what will happen for me is that I get a vibe from somebody. And then I, I lean into that vibe. So if I meet someone for the first time and the vibe is good and they just seem like an authentic, genuine person where I don't feel like I have to read the bubbles above their heads of what they're actually thinking, like they just kind of like Bleh. like my wife, she just like she says what she feels and there's no like second guessing Oh, this is what she means when she says this. But there are other people that I don't get that same vibe, and then I will become more guarded, and it will take a little longer for me to build trust with with that person.
1: I love that you said that because I hear sixes a lot say that they just get a vibe from somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marta, did you want to add anything?
3: I would say that this was something that I'm not proud of and that I didn't actually, i was not conscious of, but I do know the success and I do this, the capacity to test people. And so what we're, we're actually not trying to be a pain in your butt, but you know, it might end the butt, but we just are testing to see if you're trustworthy and we do it in weird ways. And it can sell. And I think that's where the self-fulfilling prophecy happens. It's like, To realize in the whole scheme of things, in the whole universe, that, and and I'm a person of faith, so God is trustworthy and faithful. But in general, someone's going to disappoint you in life. And to kind of do the work around that and to think about, you know, what's the big deal if someone doesn't pass your test? What then? You Mm -hmm. know? And so we tend to go down the scenario of, see, I was right, instead of, you know, what if what if they are 90% on it instead of 100 on your test? Or do you even realize you're testing people? And so I think that that is one of the things that I've had to do my work on. And, and to say that trust is a risk no matter what for everyone. We're not special sexists. Everyone has to do the work to trust other people. And it doesn't mean that we didn't think it through or we're dumb or we're have a regret or, or do the work around regret and why you feel regretful all the time. Because, it, you know, it happens. People disappoint. And I have disappointed other people. So where you have to think about grace and where's the grace on it. Preach.
1: <laughs> I love that. So I want to talk about your passion a little bit, which is fear. So the passion of type six is fear. Um, and I've, I'd have i love to hear y'all's experience of it. I've heard it described a little bit more around anxiety. Um, it's just kind of a generalized, um, I don't know, I don't want to put the the wrong word out there, but just like a fretting almost. So I'm really curious your experience of it. Um, I'll tee us up a little bit here. B. Chestnut says the fear of type six is an unpleasant emotional and physiological response to recognized sources of danger. It tends to occupy, accompany anxiety, but the anxiety is re- related to the anticipation of danger from an unrecognized or unknown source or even originating in your own mind. So um, in that this is such... Like this is big work for Type Six, is really understanding fear. So, what? Just give us a little bit of an idea of how you live with fear, what that looks like for you as a Type Six.
4: So fun! (laughs) (laughs) You're like really glad we came on this one. (laughs) I know. No, this is the, this I, yeah. is the
1: stuff, though, right? It when is. I, when I'm, a, I was just on a Type Two panel. Talk, and they're like, "Tell us about your pride." <laughs> like,
4: Ugh. yeah. No, I mean, living with fear, you know, is is not fun. And no. you know, I would say that, like, when I first graduated from college and came home, and I had a degree in religion, but I wasn't really sure how that would translate into vocational ministry. And I remember helping out at my home church and I was an intern and they wanted to bring me on staff. And I remember feeling terrified because I was afraid I'd be sitting in a church office looking out the window, wishing I was out there doing something else. And the the fear of making that decision and missing out, like, but at the same time, I made that decision. I met my wife in that church. I now have two beautiful kids, like it played out, it worked out pretty well in my favor. I'm glad. But those are the kinds of things that when big opportunities like that come up, um, that, that anxiety and that fear for me, it's been like a fear of missing out on because I Mm -hmm. committed to this thing. What else am I missing out on because of this one commitment? So that's been Mm -hmm. kind of like a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah
1: well and it i would think it creates some of that second guessing so along with the the fear there's the like the next step is like is this the right decision
4: mm-hmm. yeah for yeah, sure good
1: thank you Susie or marta what's fear how, how are you all experiencing that
2: yeah i mean the fear is is everything it's underneath all of my behaviors, so and that's what the the key thing about being finally properly typed as a six um, meant that I could better understand and analyze and be better aware of and therefore correct some of my unhealthy behaviors is being able to see that it's all fear underneath, right? Whereas like being typed as an eight and people would say, oh, but you, you love confrontation and they would volunteer me for it and, and things like that. I hate confrontation, but it was the fear of Mm -hmm. the underlying disagreement that wasn't being addressed that was making me uncomfortable and the anxiety of
4: what if not addressing
2: this creates this and this and this, all of these different scenarios that could come out of not addressing it and not fixing fixing it. And it makes me, um, therefore, I address things head on because I'm so uncomfortable with the fear and the anxiety. And I I think looking at the fear as anxiety for us is important because it's not like we're staring the lion face to face and it's like right here. Instead, we're coming up with 14 different directions that the lion might come from. Mm -hmm. And all of these other things. And so we're so busy. It takes up so much mental energy, um, constantly creating these scenarios and sometimes it makes you better prepared for things, but I think most of the time it's not super, it doesn't serve us very well.
0: And that is, I just want to add that that is where the Enneagram is so amazing for helping us understand these motivations and not necessarily just the behaviors, because uh, then then it gives us this shortcut for being able to be a little bit more self-aware.
2: Yes. Yes. Exactly, exactly. And that's where the important work has come in from me, where now I'm um, conscious of it. And now I've worked on it enough that I have this automatic response in myself that says, what am I fearing? Every time some sort of big emotion comes up in me, it's an automatic, what am I fearing? And then I can examine that.
3: Further. Yeah, and I think one of the things that the six does is it projects that, the, that there's something out there. There's something in the out there, either a person or, you know, uh, danger or situation or scenario that we just have to figure out. And if we figured it out, then we won't feel those feelings. We won't be afraid. So I, in my story, I, I, five years ago, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. I've got to figure out what I'm gonna do with my life. Both of my parents had cancer I'm probably going to have cancer. You know, I just need to think that way. We're all going to go there. And then I thought, and then li- literally, probably I went on sabbatical and I said, you know, uh, I might come back because I had a lump in my breast and I thought it might just be uh, you know, I might just have some more perky, li- you know, try to make a joke about it. I might have some perky little, you know, friends with me and you know, <laughs> all this stuff. And I didn't know, but my husband had, had cancer and we got the diagnosis when I was on sabbat, like two days before I came back for sabbatical and, um, it was bad and, and the scenario that I had made up in my mind was actually not the worst case scenario, but I was about to live out my, my worst case scenario. And so for five years, we've been fighting it. And of course, they said he wouldn't live this long. And he's on his last clinical trial. And um, I could sit here and say, okay, we're terrified. And we are. But I I can't live like that. We wouldn't be able to function Mm -hmm. in the last five years. Mm -hmm. So we've learned to live with cancer in the knowledge that he's not going to be cured. But also to live in the present and to say, you know, I thought the worst case scenario was A, it was really B, and we're still here.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And God is still good to us. And um, maybe the big monster wasn't out there at all. Maybe it was within me that, that couldn't trust um, what was going to happen and that it was going to be okay no matter really what the outcome or scenario was that my ability to deal with it was really what I found was the problem, not, not the thing itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. um, Yeah. In my life, I can't forget it. Sure. So it took something like that for me to sit there and go, Oh, this is it. It's not, it's not that it's not all y'all. It's not, you know even god although there was some wrestling there
1: mm, i bet yeah yeah and i love um it made me think of the distinction susie to kind of use your language that you really are staring at the lion it's not like there might be a line around that corner there it's like no this is it versus like the actual fear versus the uh fabricated fear that you were doing about what could be, so I think that's such a good distinction um, that I heard, and I, you know, I, I've heard sixes say before, yeah, but it might be true. Like there's a little bit of possibility that it's true, and then you know how the the mind, the heart wants to kind of blow that up in this protective wall around us. Um, so to hear your story, Marta, that like there was there was something to be scared of and that you were able to really pull that back in and look at what is my response? How do I hold this? How, who do I become in the midst of this fear?
3: Yeah. And, and I think there's a, the lie is that we can control yeah whatever's going to happen and um, in our minds like, okay, well, if that did happen, then we'll react this way. And you don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. So yeah, I
1: love, yeah. yeah. That you said control. Cause I do. Um, I wonder if that's a lot of what it is. Um,
0: well, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That is, um, I mean, that does level the playing field of like some of the, you know, real or imagined fears. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: It's really happening. And when it's really happening, it's like, this is freaking scary. <laughs> like, yeah. There's no way to dance around this.
3: And and that, I think when the, I, I may have told this to you, Charlotte, before, but I went to my therapist. I'm like, you gotta tell me I'm gonna be okay. And he said, uh, you, okay, you're gonna be okay. And you're not. Yeah. Because how could you be? And I hmm. thought, yeah, sixes don't do that well. We don't live in that. I mean, we like to, you know, do the dual thing. Mm-hmm. We don't live in the both and. It. I'll be okay, and and I'm not, and I won't. Yeah, yeah. which is yeah. the truth. You know, the the sixes are
1: are these great truth tellers, and that's the truth: is that it is okay, and it's not okay. You are okay, and you will not be okay. And
3: I'm not. Mm-hmm.
1: So, can we talk a little bit about growth? Um, which Marta, you're you're bringing us to. Um, so I want to talk specifically about courage because um, we talked about your passion of fear. The virtue is courage. Uh, Aranio Pius, who's um, one of our teachers. He also, he talks about courage as the capacity to move forward despite the fear. In courage, You stand in your authority. You take full responsibility for what you see as fearful and you move forward anyway. So I love that definition of courage because it's not like we're badasses. It's not like you're doing these like superhuman things. It's like, I'm scared and I'm going to move forward anyway. So share, if you all would share a story or insight or something that that makes you think about with how courage, like how do you actively pursue that um, in your growth as a type six?
2: probably a little bit different again as a um counter type sexual six um my courage is in not attacking Right. right so um it's in the sitting back and trying to observe and not seeking the comfort that i get from addressing it head on and fixing it or squashing it or, or whatever it is. And, um, and it's hard, it's hard because it's not natural. And so then originally it felt like whatever I was doing or not doing was very f- fake. It felt inauthentic, right? Cause authenticity and being real and always being the the honest and truthful and trustworthy one is, is so important to me. And, um, to not be speaking my truth, which is where I thought my value was. Um, It's weird. It's weird. And it's, um, it's hard work. I see the benefit of it. I'm still actively figuring it out every single day. And like, where is, where is the line? Where is the line between completely shutting down, going too far um, versus being an absolute attacker (laughs) which is where the,
1: my unhealthiest is. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's just every, every single day work. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Susie. Marta, I,
4: think, Roger? I, I was going to say, I think for me that like moving forward in the midst of fear, it always comes from either a sense of urgency or that there's no other choice and that's the thing that kind of propels me forward in the midst of that fear. So how that would play out is with my business, if I see that there's something changing in the market, I do a lot of work with Canva right now, and I can see the landscape. So I'm, I'm a Canva creator, and I see some insights into what's coming up in that program. And that causes me to move forward and make some big decisions and some big changes with my business in anticipation for what's coming because I'm afraid of what six months could look like. And then moving forward, like the reason that I'm not still serving within a church is because the church closed down two years ago. And so starting my business came out of an urgency to, oh, this thing had been a side hustle that now must become the primary source of income for my family. And so that fear of not being able to provide for my family kind of forced this decision to ramp up what I was doing within my work. So I wish that there was just an innate, like, I feel like doing this. I think I'm going to do it. But it's usually something that pushes me to be courageous. And it's sometimes birthed out of fear. (laughs)
0: I like the paradox yeah, I
3: relate of to that. that. Yeah, I relate to that as well. I mean, um, sometimes it's just a matter of, it, it, like actually being courageous or making a decision or making taking a risk is because there's no, I mean, in my situation with cancer, like what are you going to do? You don't just make a choice to not do it. Mm. Um, but I do think for me, And I know that there's some debate about this. I'm not sure courage is even my goal. Like, um, I think that I want to keep my faith.
0: Mm. And,
3: um, for me personally, maybe not for everyone who listens to this. I just, um, I wondered and doubted and I'm okay with the doubt about God and what he's doing in my life. And if he even cares like about our personal situation, um, that's just don't tell anyone who I'm the church i the pastor of. They probably wouldn't want to hear that. But um, the wrestle in the wrestling, I think, grows my capacity it's like a muscle. It grows my capacity to have faith in in God, or you can say the universe or whatever that I will be okay, even if the worst thing were to happen. And, and to not have to adapt or again control the situation um and see what what comes to me what what actually comes on my plate that only I have to deal with um, and then I think great love also like you know no one chooses to do cancer but I love my husband and I love my family and great love motivates you Mm. to do a lot of things that you thought you could never do and you would never choose to do. And so, you know, if you, if your kiddo was in the middle of the street, you saw a car coming, you'd run out there with great courage. But what that really is, is great. It's not courage. It's great love Mm. for the thing that you're protecting. And so I think when we kind of boil down to, you know, also protecting ourselves and protecting those that we love, then decisions get a lot easier on that one. Mm-hmm. Right? I only really have to do this today.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think love and- my
3: church too. <laughs> so that makes it a lot easier. What's best for the group is gets us all mixed up because we really are egalitarian. We care about the group. But um, in, in the end, um, they it can get pretty simple.
1: Yeah. I, I Yeah, and I think there's you all are each talking about variations on a theme, the theme of courage that may be the definition, the word, and it's, um, kind of colloquial way that we talk about it. It does feel a little, um, oh gosh, what's the, uh, not Hamlet, but the <laughs> Lord of the Rings hobbit, like <laughs> the, the hobbit, uh, what's his name? Frodo. Sorry. I can't remember. Um, from Hamlet yeah, like, to courage, Hobbit. and how That's he had amazing. to find his courage. Wait, Roger, say what?
4: I said from Hamlet to Hobbits. That's amazing. Yeah, I knew it was, was an
1: H. quite a difference
4: in a cultural.
1: Yeah, you might uh, need to edit that out. I knew it was an H, and no, I was trying to get it. to Frodo because <laughs> they say Frodo's like the quintessential six. Have oh, y'all heard that? Because right. he had the you know the path, the the hero's journey, and like the courage, and so anyway, you're mm. all giving variations of this idea. Um, I do, because we have you all on and our son is a six. I have to ask you this.
0: (laughs) Our oldest son. Our
1: oldest son, who's a freshman in college. Um, and, and we have seen, you know, so much of what you all are talking about. We have seen displayed in him through the years, even as a young kid and the self doubting and the courage and the fear is so prevalent. Like we see that a lot as a freshman in college and like figuring out his way. So when you doubt yourself as a six, and when you're scared and you don't believe you have the answers, you can control it. What do you most need from people in your life? It could be a spouse, a colleague, friend. When you're in that place and you're like spinning in that sixness, we'll call it, And having a hard time landing on your own inner wisdom and your inner truth, what's helpful?
0: Do you need authority figures telling you what to do? (laughs) Sometimes.
1: (laughs) Absolutely not. Hard no.
2: Hard no. (laughs) no. What do y'all think?
1: Like what's helpful in that when you're in that space?
2: I think it, yeah, I think the, definitely not an authority figure, nothing top down. I think it's somebody coming alongside and offering, um, yeah, offering strength and, and support at our level and in a way that we don't feel like we have failed or are weak, weak. Um, Yeah. In a way that there's no way to come up with a scenario of that where trust becomes a factor because they're standing beside us and supporting us.
4: Yeah, I think like support is is a big one for me. Whenever I'm facing something that I have questions about, I go to the people who are closest to me and just say like, hey, what do you think? And some of the best advice, they kind of throw it back to me and they say, like Shay, for instance, is a, is a really trusted friend. And when I ask her for advice, she'll say like, I feel like you already know what to do. Like, I feel like you already know what you should be doing. And then I have to kind of reflect and go, yeah, I guess maybe, maybe I do. (laughs) And so it's really about like, you know, I've, I put my trust in someone else to, for really, for them to just throw it back to me and say, "You're trusting me," but I'm saying, "Trust yourself." Yes,
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: that's good.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with both of these guys, I think, and, and gals. I just think that it's about support and space. And I think with a six, it's a long game. It's not an in and out. You got to be consistent in their life. You got to be supportive. Um, it's hard work. <laughs> Sorry. All y'all who are friends, us. <laughs> hard yeah. work. But, uh, we, we're
1: very clear about that.
3: <laughs> uh, it's- I, I think the best things that my friends and, and, and spouse and kids even have done for me has been a non-anxious presence, you know, just be non-anxious mm-hmm. and, and have that presence there and, and, and that longevity and the support. And then to say, not to minimize, never minimize what they're freaking out about and then not to maximize it with being anxious with them, Right, um, but to right size it, you know, like, OK, well, let's go ahead. Let's play out all the scenarios, you know, and give them the space to play it out in their heads and then to remind them because we forget that we can do it like, you know, you can do it. You, so remember this situation when you were you didn't make the ball team or whatever, you know, You did it then. This is kind of like that. And it's, I think for kids, it's important because they can't see a future. I'm 50 now, you know, I can see 50 years of like, oh yeah, I did do that. Oh, that was hard. And I did that. Okay. Just forget it. For them, they don't have that kind of, you know, uh, track record yet. So you have to remind them of it and see how many times they really have done hard things. And, And I've just said, I have a sick son. And it's 23. Now, it's just, you know, we can do hard things. You know that. And it's helped both of us. I say it for myself. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you're speaking
0: as a six, two is six, which was probably, it's, we're, Shelly's a two and I'm a four. Um, so we've, yeah, but all of that is, I think this has become a, a mini little therapy session. So I was like, we
1: really do all these podcasts yeah. so we can get parenting advice yeah. from yeah. all yeah. of the kids' yeah. numbers. When. Yeah, can How I add you
2: something? It. Yeah, can I add something then? I think yeah. that we are all saying, but not explicitly saying, but I think that it's there. And what all of us have said is that we don't want someone to fix it for us. Um, right? We're not asking you to come and solve this and take it over, take it away from us, and fix it. And that is, that's part of the standing beside us. Um, I think that needs to be explicitly said because that is really alienating and trust breaking when somebody comes along even if they're alongside if they're like oh but i'm here to fix it for you no no that's not what we want or need
3: yeah i i want to just piggyback on what susie just said because i do think what it does is it it um we're trying to build trust we're trying to build that emotion that muscle inside of ourselves so when someone takes it and does it for us yeah that's nice and sometimes i'll let them actually do that because it's just to get out, out from under the pressure But then it actually has a backside to it where it didn't build my confidence. It actually sent a message to me that said, see, you can do it.
1: Okay, it's good stuff. That is good.
4: Yeah, I had a, uh, you know, working in a creative team. I remember that we were planning this really big event and I was just spitballing. We're brainstorming and I'm thinking, what if we tried this at this event? And someone on staff said, well, if it's not going to be a home run, then don't do it. And that really messed me up because I think one of the greatest gifts that you can give to a six or really anyone is the freedom to fail. And we, you know, for me, I don't want that, but I at least want the freedom to do that. I want the freedom to experiment and to try different things. And um, I'm already in my own head enough that now if I'm thinking, will this event be a home run? That's only (laughs) going to make it worse. Um.
0: (laughs) yeah that's good. I mean, I think that, that could be pretty universal. That would have messed yeah. me up yeah. yeah
4: for sure to hear that
1: um so I want to wrap us up, but I want to give you all one like closing word um specifically if you could just share like real co- briefly what are you working on right now in your path as a as a type six
4: um i w- I would say for me that most of the time that I've experienced, the greatest amount of growth has come from something painful. It's come from being in a leadership position where I was dealing with, you know, maybe critical team members and they're they're saying a lot of different things. And I feel that tension of is it me or is it them? Have I allowed this culture to get to this point where like it, it all falls on me? It all falls on leadership. And if so, I need to get better. And so I would be driven to read books about leadership. Now that I've kind of pivoted and I'm more in business world and I did not go to school for business, I'm reading a lot more business types of books. But at the same time, the the book I'm reading right now is Effortless by Greg McCallan. And, you know, one of the biggest things, I'm only 11% into the book, so it's pretty early for me. But he talks about Finding the hardest thing that's going on, whether that's in your business or life and saying, what's the easiest way for me to do this? So that's been really helpful for me because I like to play out every single scenario. Now I'm not just I'm funneling that down. Here are all the scenarios, but this is the easiest way to do it. So maybe there's a better way to do it, but it's not going to get done because it's too complex. So how can I simplify this so that it actually gets done?
0: Mm,
2: that's good. I
0: could think that would really speak to his sex as well. That speaks
3: to me.
2: <laughs> I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. right
3: Getting <laughs> <laughs> that book right now. Um, yeah, I think for me, um, I have like a professional world and a personal world, and I'm working on different things in both. So I think for personally, I, I am really trying to just have faith in the process of. Whatever is about to happen, and then I'll be, I'll be okay. That is a daily struggle for me, but I think professionally, I've learned that there are some things that can help me at work when I'm working. You know, like stepping into my authority. Like I, someone asked me what I did the other day. I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. <laughs> like it's still weird for me to say that title, you know? Uh, yeah, and and the buck kind of stops with me, so. Some of that I have to step into own, even though it it is a painful and hard job. I think it's just one of those things that I'm sitting there going, okay, something falls, then I've got to at least own it, even if it really wasn't under me, because I'm now the senior authority, you know, or at least on the team of that. But also just being, it's kind of a responsibility thing but also just being clear in my communication about what my priorities are. Cause I think sometimes I'm so egalitarian and I don't want to step into that authority thing that I let people slide on things. And in actuality, I just need to be really clear, get this done, get this done and get this done. And then if you have time, get these last ones done so that we're not all frustrated because I think sometimes prioritizing is easy for me. But I don't communicate it because I don't want that authoritarian feel you know and so in in actuality it's a favorite of people to to tell them what's my priority, especially when they're working for me.
2: All right, I think I'm gonna say observer is my word at the moment um, I am working on um, observing situations when I'm in them versus reacting to them and then observing the fears that are in me and trying to find, um, the source of those and, and how I can work on whatever's behind those
1: behind fears. Mm-hmm. Thank you all. Yeah, thank you all so
0: much. Yeah, for taking the time. Lots of great stuff here.
1: Yeah, this has been amazing to learn about. You know, more and more about the Type Six. I think, obviously, from the work that we do, but also as a parent of the Type Six, um, on several levels, this conversation has been wonderful so thank you all thanks for your vulnerability
0: and um, I, this will be good for a lot of people so thank you yeah thank you yeah you're
4: welcome thank, thank you. you thanks
3: guys awesome. always good to get with other sixes
0: thank you for tuning in today we are so honored to have you with us Shelley has a few remaining slats for her coaching services if you'd like to check out all the details at bigselfschool.com backslash coaching